Shade is down. To visualize it, it's really like a conveyor belt. So it's a really big setup of about 12 meters. Hey, I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and that sound, that's the sound of over a million plant specimens getting a high-tech makeover. What we're embarking on is, is one of the largest uh, digitization projects for herbaria in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's extremely exciting and groundbreaking in some ways for, for Australia. That's Dr Shelley James. She's the collections manager at the National Herbarium of New South Wales at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Sydney. And over the next two years, the entire collection of herbarium specimens will be transformed into a database of high-definition images. The 1.4 million specimens will be digitised, so imaged, um, over a 20-month period. So about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half to get them all done. It's the largest herbarium digitisation project in the Southern Hemisphere, and a first for Australia. So what we're going to be doing is imaging, capturing an image, digital image of each specimen and making that available online. Uh, capturing the data that's associated with each of those specimens, so the who, what, where and why something was collected. And it's about 4,000 specimens a day that we're pulling out of the collection, putting onto the conveyor belt, imaging, and then taking off the other end and putting back into the collection. And those images and the valuable data attached to them will then be turned over to you. It's bringing out of the dark our collections and making them available in the digital age um, so everybody can see them. The digitisation project's a significant first step to move the herbarium to a new facility at the Australian Botanic Garden, Mount Annan. But before we get digitising, let's rewind a little and talk about what exactly a herbarium is. So the National Herbarium of New South Wales is uh, a collection of plant specimens, so botanical specimens for scientific research use. Shelley's the best person to ask about herbariums because as the collections manager, she's in charge of those 1.4 million specimens and keeping them safe. So they are pieces of plant material that are harvested from the field or from gardens or from roadsides or wherever plants grow. Nice little bite-sized pieces that fit on a sheet which is archival paper of a certain size. They're mounted, they're secured down onto this sheet and then all the information about that plant, what it looked like, where it was collected, who collected it, is put on a little label on the bottom corner. The National Herbarium of New South Wales houses an incredibly diverse collection of plants, with some specimens dating back to collections made by Joseph Banks and Daniel Solander. They were botanists on Captain Cook's first voyage to the Pacific. We do have collections from 1770. Uh, most of those labels are actually typeset because we've generated the labels later. But there are little pieces of paper that are attached to the specimen themselves, which have handwriting that give us information about where it was collected and who collected it. And how long can these specimens last? I mean, they slowly but surely start to kind of break down, right? They do, but there are collections dating back to the 1500s. Um, so they last a long time and hopefully for many, many, many years to come. So maybe right now you're thinking 1.4 million specimens, two years of work. 
Why go to all the effort? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, there are some pretty tight restrictions on just who's allowed to access the physical herbarium specimens. Right now in the herbarium, it's pretty much limited to researchers that can come and use the collections. So we're exposing, da-da, photo shooting the specimens. They're going to be on display and there for the world to see. And it allows us to protect the collection a little bit as well. Yep. Digitising the collection will reduce the amount that the specimens are handled by researchers. So if we don't have to pull a specimen out to have a look at it, to look at the data that's associated with it, then we're protecting it by keeping it in its container or its cabinet and we don't have to handle them quite so often, which is important because they do break. I mean, they are fragile specimens. Right. How's it all going to happen? Well, one of the world's most renowned digitisation companies, PictureEye, has come all the way from the Netherlands. And the team has picked up on some pretty interesting Sydney habits. Everybody's running here. It's the weirdest thing. When we walk back to our apartment, everybody is working out along the way, doing push-ups. <laughs> I really feel like we have to start doing that as well <laughs> to fit in. <laughs> That's Deveche van Willigen, and she's a project manager at PictureEye. And I'm from the Netherlands. PictureEye and International Conservation Services have partnered with the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney to take on this massive and exciting task. And this is our first project in Australia and we're so happy to be here. Everybody has been so friendly to us and so welcoming. So we we really like doing a project here. But why are so many institutions around the world going digital? For PictureEye, digitization is making durable, high-quality, lifelike copies of historical and cultural relevant documents and objects. That is with the objective to share them with the public that won't always have access to the physical copies. And this goes for images as well as metadata, both of which contain valuable information for researchers across many fields and, of course, the general public. What other things are typically digitized around the world? Anything. You can digitize anything. I mean, it could even be 3D objects. Basically, make anything that is just a flat object, but also old films or old audio. Everything can be translated in a, a digital file. Now, in order to digitize herbarium specimens specifically, PictureEye invented an amazing machine called the Herbarium Digistreet. It's an engineering masterpiece. It's that big conveyor belt sound you heard at the start of the episode. And to get it to Sydney, they had to ship it all the way from the Netherlands and assemble it at the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney piece by piece. The whole thing's about 12 metres long and the plant specimens are loaded one by one onto the digi street at one end. Halfway through, there's like a big cubicle over it. Like a, we call that the black box. And there is the camera. How many people have been allowed to look inside the black box? Um, outside of our company? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that that is really the the big secret of, of our machine, which we uh, we can talk about and show how everything works, but also to protect what's in there. Uh, we normally don't allow outside people to really look in there. Yeah, that's the magic. to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> that's the magic. You should never reveal like the magic trick, right? <laughs> Damn it. 
Unfortunately, I wasn't able to learn the secrets of the black box. But the rest of the process is fair game. At the beginning of your conveyor belt, you have one person standing unpacking boxes where the herbarium sheets are in. So that person is really carefully unpacking everything and putting it on the belt. Then there is a second person, and that person is placing it correctly on the conveyor belt so that it's precisely within a marked area so that the camera can capture it completely. That person also puts a barcode on it, which will be found by the camera to file name it. Then the conveyor belt moves forward just so that the herbarium sheet will be placed right under the camera and then a flash. And that means that the herbarium sheet is digitized. And from there, the specimens are taken off the belt and packed back up. The team is able to digitise about 4,000 flat sheet specimens a day. Of course, with people doing the handling of the specimen, the computer is doing all kinds of things as well because it really is checking the quality. It's checking for sharpness, for colour, for depth, and it also checks uh, it for uh, the barcode to see if that's correctly written, if it's even there. So it does all that, and when that's good, it's also making a crop out of it so that you have a very perfect image when it says it's done. And it's just kind of cool that it's, when you think about each specimen, it's like this was once just living somewhere in the land, and then an explorer or botanist, or, you know, yesterday or 200 years ago, picked it up out of the ground, and then that's going to become a digital image that everyone around the world can access. It's now preserved for so many more generations, so that's, that's amazing. I don't think that person that collected that back in the day would have ever thought that would happen. It's crazy. What a legacy to leave. Yeah, indeed, it definitely is. <laughs> oh, the images are spectacular. So they're 570 dots per inch. And if you don't know what that means, basically, if you view them at 100% on a computer screen it's almost like looking under a microscope. So what can researchers around the world do with these images? Well, because you can actually still retrieve DNA from dried herbarium specimens, if you're wanting to do that for a species you know is in the collection... Having a digital image will allow us to have a look at that specimen and decide without pulling it out whether or not it might be a good specimen to do some of those chemical analyses. Or say you want to run some comparisons with some specimens from somewhere on the other side of the world. So if the world expert has looked at a specimen in Europe and annotated it and said, I think it's this, this species, I can look at that and say, hmm, OK, he says that that is, or she says that that is this species. I'll go and confirm that the same species we have, or the same sample, is, is exactly the same. And so we can more broadly use the knowledge of, of researchers around the globe to enhance our collections and provide insight into botanical science. It really makes you wonder, what was it like for botanists before digital images or the internet existed? Even if you go back, I guess, 20 or 30 years, you'd either need to get loans from other herbaria, and they might take months to come, 
which slows down your pace of work considerably, or you'd need to go visit. That's Dr Kerry Gibbons, a scientific officer at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. So I'm a postdoctoral researcher uh, and my field is systematics and taxonomy. So I'm looking at how we classify, identify plants, looking at the evolutionary relationships between them, mostly using DNA sequence data, uh, looking at evolutionary trends, that sort of thing. There are over 25,000 vascular plant species in Australia alone, so classifying and identifying plants leaves no room for error. So imagine being an Australian botanist and having to access a specimen overseas. A lot of Australian material is in European herbaria because a lot of the best material actually was sent back to Europe by early botanists because we were just a colony. So to get to Europe, obviously, is, is hugely expensive and difficult to do. So now that we can bring up images, particularly for type specimens, um, a lot of herbaria now have most but not all of their type specimens digitised. So a type specimen is the herbarium specimen nominated by a botanist describing a new species. Basically, it's considered the gold standard reference for that new species and its name. They're so important for plant conservation and having a high-definition digital image greatly reduces both time and money constraints for researchers. For developing countries whose funding is quite low, to have open access digital images would be fantastic because their budgets for travel to other herbaria would be small. For some of the very historic specimens, Herbaria justifiably hesitant to lend them out in case they get damaged in transit, so it's really great for those. Kerry's actually got an awesome example of how having a digital image has sped up her own research. There's a species that was described by Mueller. Mueller was the Victorian government botanist from, I think, 1858, something like that, and then founded the Botanic Gardens in Victoria and the National Herbarium of Victoria. So his collections are very important historic collections. Most of them are down in the herbarium in Melbourne. But despite being down in Melbourne, Kerry's able to easily look at that specimen as a high-definition image on the computer in her own office. We can bring up his type material of what then he called Hediotis crouchiana and see images of it straight away. Crouchiana? <laughs> yeah, Crouchiana because it was collected by somebody, Mrs Crouch, it was actually Mariana Crouch, in Nickel Bay in WA, so we can see that from the material on the label. Okay, so this is an image. It's what you'd see in a herbarium specimen when you open up yeah, that, it's, that file. It's, it's a, essentially just a photograph of the specimen. We've got a bit of a, a scale on it. So we can see how big things are and our colour reference. So if we zoom in, because that was only at 12%. Wow, this is so clear. I'm seeing like the tiny little, what looks like tiny little roots at the bottom and I mean, incredible detail on the, on yeah. the leaves. Here we've got the, the fruits, the capsules and the leaves, stems, some flowers that are probably shivelled up a bit in drying. As Kerry alluded to earlier, she thinks there's another species that needs to be recognised separately from the one collected by and named after Mariana Crouch. 
One of the things we've noticed is that Crouchiana always has these, see those little bumps on the edge of the fruit? Yeah, it's like, um, how would you describe that, like a little saw? Yeah, yeah, so they're, they're little modified hairs, but they're sort of, one of the other authors describes them as flattened, conical, I would probably just say they're triangular, but they're little projections on the side. Now, Crouchiana always has that. But this other specimen collected in a place called Hammersley Station in the Pilbara region of Western Australia, doesn't have those defining little bumps. And we can see that on the image. To be able to see that little detail of what's hairs that you normally see need high res on a microscope to see on an image is fantastic. So that's a perfect example of how you can quickly access a high res image to see a detail that you would normally need to get from when you would loan a specimen and look at... And wait six months for it to arrive. (laughs) Yep, okay. Now, that example with Kerry, that's just one scientist with one plant species. When you start to think about what sort of projects might come out of these data sets, well, the possibilities really are endless. I always like to look at specimens and think about how that specimen is actually its own little ecosystem that we haven't yet discovered and explored. So a lot of the plants that I collect from New Guinea have lichens on them and bryophytes and there's the animals that have that live in, in little casings on the leaves or have invaded the flowers and eaten parts of them. And, and so you look at a specimen and go, oh, that's that species, but actually it's a multitude of different things and that's something we haven't really explored very much with some of these specimens. So do you think with the, having a digital image and you know, you'd, be able to, you'd be able to see a bit of that activity, ecosystem activity, that could help with those kind of, those studies? There's one study that I'm aware of where she uses digital images to have a look at herbivory of leaves and how that's changed through time. So you can take the digital image and then work out how much of the leaf got actually eaten based on you know what the specimen looks like and then have a look at specimens of, of the same taxon through time um, from the same location and see how that, that has changed. And they found, they found there are differences through time of those insects that are eating species. Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of different things you could can do. With the incredible advances in technology we're seeing in this digital age and researchers continually pushing the boundaries of scientific inquiry, the future sure looks exciting for the herbarium specimens. Who knows what someone might be interested in with these specimens. Um, a lot of people are interested in you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning and using these specimens to help identify species or look for different traits within a whole range of species so that we don't sit down there with a ruler but the the machine computers start to look at patterns and pattern recognition for the specimens. It would be fascinating to see what people can do with all of these images. Thanks for listening to Branch Out. So the digitisation project has just begun and there are loads of specimens still to be scanned on the Digi Street. So keep up to date with the project on the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's website and social media. You can also be a part of the digitisation journey by supporting the project through a donation on the garden's website. The next episode of Branch Out is exploring the concept and reality of plants in space. 
and there's a stellar lineup of experts. There's a hatch that faces the Earth. You open that hatch and you look down and then the Earth is whizzing by and you go out at <laughs> first and, uh, and you're hanging there underneath the space station. Including NASA astronaut Dr. Gregory Shamatov. There's nothing between me and the moon, nothing. Who took seeds from the Australian plant bank to the International Space Station in 2008. For space travel, the important thing is, can we use plants in space to you know, provide food for future missions, uh, to recycle the oxygen in a natural way? Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a positive review if you like the show. I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and Joe Koning produced this episode of Branch Out.